Hi there. Welcome to Tech Talk Weekly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. This is our weekly show where we hit you up with three or four interesting news stories of the week and send you on your way in about 20 minutes. Do you learn fast? I bet you you don't. But we're going to find out about that today, and we're going to talk with Edwin. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine, thank you. A little under the weather, but I'm fine. Well, I'm sorry for that, but your voice is sounding good for me. That's a good thing. I like the the nice relaxed background. I'm guessing though that that's not what the real workspace looks like. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Tell everybody what you actually do here for the county because you have your fingers in a lot of different pies. Yeah, once again, um, warehouse supervisor. Uh, we make sure we get everything, all the materials that's needed to the 37 branches. We sort incoming material and uh, prepared for dispatch. We do mail. We do uh, uh, the regular supplies that come in via the couriers like UPS, FedEx, and Amazon. And uh, we assist uh, building services with any uh, projects they have going on. Yeah. I notice all the all of that happens at 37 different places that he's in charge of. <laughs> it's not like it's one building. It's like, here, let's just sort out this mail room. Yeah. yeah. It, it, they've got a great team. And thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to, to hang out with us for a few minutes. Um, we've got some good fun stories, some good new stuff getting started. Um, there was a new rhino born last week uh, in Sumatra, which is a great thing. Um, only 50 of these of this particular type of rhino still exists. Did you even know about this, Edwin, beforehand? No, never heard of this uh, specific type of rhino. Yeah. I heard they're all in Indonesia now. Yeah, that was the cool thing that caught my eye about this one. Not so much of the, um, here's this latest birth, because they've now got two recent births, which brings their total just over 50, which only 50 left on the planet's pretty small. But the idea that they've actually managed to get all the other countries that had them in zoos to donate them or return them back to Sumatra, back to Indonesia, so that all of the breeding pairs can be together in one spot, which is really nice. They've had five of them at this one sanctuary alone since starting to gather all the ones that had been scattered around to zoos back. So I was like, you know what? This is a really nice story to lead off, isn't it? Yes, it is. This nice, fun, easy stuff. And hopefully these things will uh, will be able to continue for them. It's a long, long way to get them off the extinction list because they are critically endangered, but we'll see where we go. Um, surprised by the life expectancies, only like 35 to 40 years. Yeah. That yeah. sucks. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things is as animals get bigger, their life expectancy normally extends out also. That's why creatures like elephants, um, and whales live as long as humans do live 80, a hundred years. Cause they're so much bigger than humans. Um, so yeah, it's kind of unusual that, you know, you would think rhinos might last for a long time, but nope, it's things like crocodiles or stuff like that, that last for a hundred years. And those crazy tortoises that last for like 200 years. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, other good news also. I, you might've seen this one because, uh, they, on Virgin Atlantic, they did a transatlantic flight with low carbon fuel as it's called. It's the new replacement jet fuel. We talked about this on the show last year. 
And it's been used before. This is not like the only time it's ever been used or the first time, but this is the first regular passenger airplane to do a transatlantic crossing on only this fuel. And yeah, I saw it on the news and I was very excited. Then when it came down to the end, they were like, it's so hard to uh, get this fuel, hard to get enough to for the industry and it was going to take a while for them to actually make this a, a, a broader use. Yeah. But it's good publicity to get the, you know, people excited about it. Get the oh, governments yeah. involved. Yep. Yeah. It is a great thing. I'm, I'm really happy with this one because it reduces, once they figure it out, this reduces the um, emissions by 70%. So that's a huge, huge drop. This isn't one of those little incremental, oh, we're going to save 5% here or 2% there. 70% drop. But like you said, it's so hard to make it. It's less than 0.1% of all the fuel made right now. So they need those incentives to, uh, to get that kind of stuff going. If you want to follow these links, as always, they're in our show notes for you to go in and follow up and see exactly what the where these numbers come from it's it's kind of a fun little story there and the cost the cost is one of the factors too that's yeah 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 it's 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 not cheap to do the right thing sometimes and then we've got a story that's good but it doesn't sound good at first (laughs) i know sounds so we have the first case of flu for swine flu in humans in Britain and it's the first time it's happened. However, it also was caught so fast that they stopped a new pandemic, which is really, really impressive. One of the things COVID taught people was when you get sick, go to the doctor. When you have a problem and you're a healthcare professional and you notice something, test and see what it is. So they tested, they found it, and stopped it. Yeah. Went to less than five people. So mm-hmm. not a good thing that we have swine flu in the human population. That there's a new virus that can transfer over. But it's great that they actually followed up and caught it. Yeah. Because back I- in 2009, they had millions of people around the planet that got infected with a similar type of virus. I think this is one of the one of the outcomes of COVID, where now everybody's being proactive, like you've mentioned, and um, you know, and we're still off right on the heels of COVID. So yeah, it's maybe, not over. People folks. are still practicing some precautions that yep. tri- that is trickling over to this. Um, I've been telling my guys, uh, hey, make sure you cover up. You coughing, you sneezing, make sure you cover up. If you're too sick to come to work, you know, make sure you uh, take the time to uh, to take uh, sick leave. And, yeah. you know, yeah, go see the doctor. Get well. See the doctor. Stay home. Get well. You'll do much better taking one day off and getting it out of your system at home than trying to muddle through for two or three days at work and getting everybody else sick. Just stop and pause that's exactly what happened in this case they caught it they solved it so it's one of those yeah it's bad news but there's a good silver lining to this one yeah and then we have two more stories the one is kind of counterintuitive 
Do you think that you learn pretty fast? Um, I could catch on the processes pretty fast. And then after that, repetition is repetition and hands-on mm -hmm. activities help reinforce what I've yep. learned. And that's, you're, you're falling right in line with this study is it's not so much about the fact of some people are fast learners and they learn something super fast. It's that everybody does almost the exact same amount of time to learn a task. It just depends on when you started versus when you're gone. So like you said, if you've already got a base knowledge of something, you may only need two or three steps to learn the next piece. Whereas for somebody else to learn that next piece, they need to do those previous five steps you already did plus the two steps to reach it up. So you both did seven steps to learn this process. And it's, it, they, this was a, a good, nice, deep study. They went through several different uh, types of learning, both uh, they use as an example for their testing, they used math. They did some uh, grammar type things. They did, uh, let's see, what's the other one that they, uh, this one here. Oh, this is what I was looking for. So the, at the very fastest was 2.6 percentage points faster and the slowest was only 1.7% slower. So they were all within effectively the margin of error of testing people for doing this. It just really surprised all the researchers for just how dead in the middle everybody learns. Don't you wish we could do that with the staff sometimes? <laughs> Well, as long as you could start with yourself first. Yeah. I think uh, as an example, when you're there, people could, you know, learn things from you if you set the pace and be mm -hmm. the example. Yeah. Yep. And you're giving them those first couple of steps. Exactly. Yep. And that's how, that's what this is really quantifying is that if you're getting, if, if you're struggling, if they if you work with someone else who's already got those couple of steps ahead of you, it's not that they learned faster than you. It's just you didn't have those couple steps. As soon as you work with that person and you catch up to those couple of steps, now you're both learning at the same pace going forward. It's having that good grounding, like you said. Once you've got that grounding, then you're good to go on stuff. Yeah. Um, what about the part of the article about the uh, head start, the advantage of head yeah, start? Exactly. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah especially in kids i mean that's why in the united states we call it the head start program it's get them a good baseline of learning and reading and math at start and everybody who has that then already has those first five steps before you need the next two or three and you don't waste your time later on in school trying to make up those five steps that you never got in the first place there was one little thing about memory that they couldn't quantify. Yes, I saw that. And that was interesting. And I that really came up during the grammar portion. And, and a part of that grammar thing is whether we think of uh, how we think of stuff. So like there are certain English uh, phrasing type stuff when you're using grammar that for me, I know it just instinctively. 
you're trying to work with someone whose English is a second language and you have to try and explain, well, no, that's not how that works. You know, you can have a large green book, but you can't have a green large book. It just, it's clump, it's clumpy, clumsy to say it that way. Mm -hmm. Or the example they use in the article here of you can swim in the ocean, but we don't swim in the lake. We swim in lakes. Well, like with anything else, uh, a lot of practice and exercise is needed. Mm -hmm. Yep. To become good. It is. It's one of those things where you've got those steps in and you're going. Mm -hmm. Now, I got one more story for us. This one's a hard one. This is a really deep, and I really recommend for everyone listening to the show, please go to the notes, go download this article from The Guardian, and read it in full. We could do a 30-minute show just on this article. When do you think life ends? What's your opinion, Ed? Well... I would say I'll take it, I'll leave it at the medical stage where if you're not breathing, if you don't have a pulse and you're not breathing, I believe that's the end. Yeah. And that's a good common sense idea. And what's happening is there was a person, we're not going to get into graphic details. There's nothing in this article that's graphic. Don't worry about it. It is very uh, emotional to read. The views of you know two different parents who have two different views and different and ideas about what should happen, but medically, the law basically says you are dead when their brain function ceases, unless you have a religious exemption, a religious cause to say no life continues on and that religious clause so to speak is only in three states in the united states but so someone's daughter was dead or brain dead but her heart was still beating still a warm body still you know skin and such like that and that's what the father was saying but then where do you draw that line from what the layperson, the father who wants to keep that connection with their daughter versus the medical side of things saying, no, this person is brain dead. There is no way of coming back. This isn't a coma where there's brain function and they're just not responding. This is someone who does not have any more possibility of reviving function. So we're going to follow through with the organ donations that the person the other parent authorized. And that's what this whole lawsuit's about. And the reason I bring it up on our show, and I know we don't normally talk about two moralistic topics here and more tech topics, it's because of the technology. Because now we have this technology to keep a body functioning even though there's no person there. That person has died. We can keep the body functioning now. Well, yeah. you know, also from a religious standpoint, yeah, uh, tell me, you would believe that okay, the heart is still functioning. There's still a possibility for a miracle to happen, for this person to regain conscious consciousness. Um, this is this is a very hard yeah. decision to make. 
Yeah. Isn't this a hard is. article? I mean, yes. I'm just like, wow. That is the, is the type of decision that split families down the middle. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the issue. And that's why some states have given a religious exemption to people. If you insist that you want to keep the person on life support, even though there's no brain activity that you can, um, the article didn't even really get into the idea as deep as who should be paying for these things. Because if you have a belief in one thing, but the hospital, the law, everything else says something else, who should be picking up the tab? Because it's not cheap to keep these things around. Mm. And it does, the article's really good also talking about um, the whole idea of we need organ don donations for other people. There's a waiting list in so many cases for so many different types of people that need kidneys, livers, hearts, etc. And the scarier thing for me was like, they do not say this in the article, but the thing that popped up in me is that, you know, the dystopian science fiction stuff of we're going to keep these bodies alive, even though there's no person inside of it, the brain's dead, but we're going to just keep the bodies alive because we want to harvest organs. And I'm like, man, but it's hard. Yeah, a lot of factors to to put in there because yeah. I, I didn't really even think about the cost of keeping the person alive and who who will absorb that cost. Yeah. And more than likely the family can't pay for it. I mean, they might still want their loved one to stay there, but you know, the mm -hmm. insurance company, the hospital, they're gonna be like, No, nah, we gotta make our money. So Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, and that's in in this article that they talk about that the insurance company was like, No, we're gonna not we're not gonna pay for this anymore because there is nothing going on. And one of the issues is also, as you read into the article and you get into the, this particular story, is um, that they this all takes place over the course of a couple of days. You don't have the time to go home and think about this later on and come back. It's You have to make decisions. You have to know what your family members want because that's just the way it is. So... This is one of our technology stories is way deeper than just, oh, here's the tech that we can keep these organs preserved for the next person to be able to use. This is, gets really deep in, into some really yeah. personal belief systems. I mean, so. Jimmy Carter has been working on this since, what, the uh -huh. 1980s? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, back, yeah, back in the uh, 70s, he had a task. Jimmy Carter, former president of the United States, put together a task force working on this. So it's not like this is a new thing. This has been coming about and doing. So, yeah, I know. So we're going to take a step back from that. We've got two – I'm always end with a high note we try and so i've got two fun things for you one is a creation station business here at main library on wednesday december 6th so next wednesday if you can make it down here it's an in-person event where they are doing a night of entrepreneurs at creation station business it's a regular series but come on down and learn it's all about networking and doing a, there's going to be a pitch competition and everything like that or if you have kids and you want to get more into the holiday spirit out at our Southwest Regional Library, all month of December is the interactive train exhibit. Did you ever make it out there for this one in years past, Ed? No, I haven't. 
It's yeah, you got to make a delivery out there. You take over the delivery and go out there and see this one. They take that entire multi-purpose room and cover it with trains. And it is an amazing model train exhibit that goes, it's running all the way through the middle of January. So you've got all month of December to find some time to get out there to Southwest Regional. It's open seven days a week. Go poke your head in there and take a look at this room. It's amazing stuff that's out there. It sounds like fun. I'll take probably take the nieces to go check it out this weekend. Oh, yeah. It's 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 a it's an amazing, amazing thing. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and to be with us. Your it's voice fun held as out. usual. It's fun as usual. The voice held out the whole time. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. If there is a staff person or a library you want to see featured on the show one week, reach out creationstation at broward.org and we'll see everybody later on.